The scripture for this Sunday comes to us from the Gospel of John. Hear these words. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the dove descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, there is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. O Holy One, we have heard of Jesus' call to Andrew and to Simon and John. God, now fire our thoughts and our imaginings that by your Holy Spirit, each one of us will hear your call to us today. In Jesus' name. Well, last week, Curtis stood here and told you that it seemed odd that one week we have the little sweet baby Jesus in the manger, and the next week, practically, we have him as a full-blown adult being dunked in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Well, this season in the church year is called Epiphany, and it's Epiphany's job to remind us that as Christians, we need more than just the sweet baby Jesus in the manger. The light needs to come on in us, which is what epiphany means, like dawn, like the light goes on. The light needs to come on in us about who Jesus is. So we get to see him walk into the Jordan to share in the experience of all those men and women that he has come to be a part of. And we need to see the clouds part, and we need to see the dove come, and we need to hear that booming voice declare him. And then later we get to move on. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I enjoy listening to national public radio, as I'm sure a number of you do. 
So I was intrigued when uh, the commentator Noah Adams told this story about himself. It seemed that at the ripe old age of 52, he decided he was going to learn the piano. And of all things, he went out and he bought himself a Steinway. <laughs> I mean, he thought that if he was spending that much money on an instrument, maybe it would persuade him to practice. Well, the first year of Noah's uh, piano work was frustrating and it was difficult. I mean, Adam, you all know this. You know, there were, there were scales to learn and there were rhythms to master. And he, you know, when he sat down and he imagined all the beautiful music he could play, it just didn't happen. How many of you have ever wanted to just sit down at the piano and have it happen? Well, it didn't for him, it didn't for us. Initially, he had decided that he would forgo getting a piano teacher, and instead he decided to try a shortcut, a miracle piano teaching system that he could practice with on the computer. Uh, but a friend's warming, warning proved to be providential here. He said, you might be learning how to play with that computer, but you're not learning how to play the piano. So eventually Adams signed up for an intensive 10-day music camp, and he discovered that it, there is no substitute for, say it, practice. There's no substitute for practice. There's no substitute for experience, and there's no substitute for having a great teacher. And all you piano teachers here say amen. Ooh, I didn't hear that very loudly. Okay, by the end of the first year, Noah Adams was hooked. I mean, he actually felt this urging to practice. And eventually he learned to appreciate the, you know, the elegance of classical music and that wonderful beat of the blues and that explosive excitement of even rock and roll. And he began to experience something else. Something for which he said he had no words. Something with which he continually wanted to become one. Something with which he continually wanted to become one. Well, for the two disciples that we hear about in the scripture this morning, it's going to be Andrew and his pal, I'm going to call them, the urging in their hearts for something with which they might continually become one didn't happen over a period of a year. It happened one afternoon. Think about it. Theirs was a pretty good life. As students of John the Baptist, their work was to join him in crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And some people actually listened to them and were baptized, and others just, you know, they just laughed. They had companions who believed the kinds of things they believed. There was enough to eat, and I really hope it wasn't just grasshoppers. And it was meaningful work. I imagine there were days, though, that every once in a while they would kind of look sideways at John the Baptist and wonder if the elevator really ran all the way to the top. Were they crazy to be doing this? What in the world were they waiting for? So on this day in scripture, when they're standing with John and Jesus walks by, they hear John say, that's him. I mean, you guys know how cocky I can be, but I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And their ears really perk up when they hear him call Jesus the Lamb of God. You know all that Hebrew catechism they'd gone through? Whoa, they're now curious. Jesus? 
that guy walking down the road? So keeping a respectful distance, the two tag along just to have a look. What was John talking about? Let's just keep an eye on this guy. Maybe there's something to it. Well, they probably didn't mean to harass Jesus by shadowing him. But in a moment, sensing their sandaled flip-flop behind him, Jesus stopped and he turned around. And like a scene from a Three Stooges movie, I imagine that Andrew and his friends stumble all over themselves like Larry and Moe. Did you just see it? I mean, these are real guys. And then Jesus looked them in the eye. He looked them in the eye. What do you imagine was in that look? Was there kindness? Strength? Something that suggested eternity? In the theater, this kind of action that Jesus did is called breaking the fourth wall. Anybody know about that? You know, a stage has three sides. It has a back and it has a side, obviously, (laughs) on each side of the stage. And you watch from a safe psychological distance everything that goes on in front of you. And then all of a sudden, an actor steps to the front of the stage and all the action stops. And the actor looks right at you and begins to speak just to you breaking through that imaginary invisible wall, and suddenly, where you once were sitting anonymously, comfortably in your little chair, you realize that there is no place to hide. And this is Andrew and his friend's experience. Jesus looked right at them, and he asks them, what are you looking for? Now, this could be a casual question like, guys, I think you might be lost. Can I help? But it's not. Somehow, it's a lot deeper than that. And it takes some courage to answer that question. Well, maybe I should stop right here and invite you to consider your response. What are you looking for? For what do you yearn? Is it a point of light in the darkness? Is it something that can bring meaning to your life? Is it a path home when the sun is setting in the quiet of your nights? Is it something to live for, something to hold on to? It's been said that there is a hole in the human heart that only God can fill. And St. Augustine said it in a prayer. Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in thee. Well, in the story, in an instant, Andrew and his friends are unmasked. They are cut through. And answering him has all kinds of implications, but they have to say something. I mean, he's standing right there. Looking at them, right at them, right into them. And nervously, they stammer out this absolutely doofus question. Rabbi, where are you staying? And though it starts innocently enough, maybe as kind of a subject changer, you know, to fill that nervous silence, before it was out of their mouths, they probably knew that their response was going to take on a life of its own. Well, 
Okay, I called it a doofus question. But in reality, when you look at the Greek for all of this, the verb that's translated as staying, where are you staying, Lord, can really be translated abiding, remaining. You know, perhaps they truly meant, where do you come from? What is your being all about? Well, Jesus wasn't about to give them the address of his motel or something. He gave them this priceless, open-ended response. It was a response that didn't require any preconceived notion about who he was. He simply issues an invitation. He says, come and see. That's it. Come and see, come and know. Well, they ended up with staying, uh, they ended up staying with Jesus all day because he was, well, frankly, fascinating. And then they followed him the rest of their lives. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They didn't know that very soon they were going to be giving up, you know, they were fishermen. They were going to be giving up their nets and their boats and their girlfriends and their 401k plans. They didn't know that they would watch this man turn water into wine. And they would look on with horror when he absolutely cleaned out the temple. And they would listen with amazement. He engaged this guy Nicodemus by saying, the spirit of God blows where it will. They ended up stumbling along, following without knowing where they were going, discovering well after the fact that they had wandered onto a path that leads to grace. Come and see. It's an invitation to explore. It's an invitation to travel without knowing where you're really going, which is a little spooky. But in a pretty understated way, today's lesson defines Christian discipleship. I know you were all curious about it. But discipleship is not about having the right answer. It's not... A quick hit of, I found Jesus and I'm done. It's about abiding. (laughs) It's about living with Jesus in your life and your life in Jesus. This lesson is often referred to in the church as the call story. And there is no, you know, there's no flashing light. There's no burning bush. There's no clear command about go out and do this because I'm calling you to do it. Instead, we just hear Jesus inviting us to come and to see. And this business of believing, of following, of of finding a ground for our being and a direction for our lives isn't about having just the right way to think about things. But it's, first of all, perceiving with our hearts what is in us and around us. And that is God's love. The doing will come after that. First, just come and see who he is, who he said he was, what he does, and where he shows up inside of you. It's not, as Curtis said last week, it's not about becoming some kind of numb zombie. But it's following with some sort of conscious conscious intention. It's about hanging in there and allowing this relationship with this mystical divine being to affect how you live your life. You know, being ordained or um, becoming a missionary or a monk or something like that is secondary 
to Epiphany's call. It's a call for us to be in relationship with Jesus, a God who lavishly loves you and forgives you and calls you to live with him. It's very, very different from signing up to do a piece of work, which is what we often think a call is. It's different in the same way that falling in love. That falling in love is very different from being hired. Do you get it? Falling in love is one thing. Doing something as a result of that love is another. Jesus says first, get into relationship with me. You know, in the beginning of taking Jesus' presence seriously in your life, I don't know when or how or if that's happened for everybody, but there is a temptation to look for shortcuts, to look for that miracle Christian teaching system on the computer or to find the cliff notes on how to be a Christian, <laughs> to be a disciple. Well, all of that stuff might help, but there is no substitute for the slow, sometimes painful, mostly rewarding growth that comes out of the day in and day out of hanging with the presence of Christ, of being conscious that precious life and love in you and around you is just there. Just as one doesn't become, and you already have this, I know, just as one doesn't become a piano player or a dancer or a dentist overnight, We can't know Jesus. We can't know God's love and presence in five easy lessons with a DVD to help us. (laughs) One needs teachers. One needs mentors. One needs the experience of a community like this. And perhaps most of all, most of all, we need to practice opening to his presence in every moment over a long period of time. To come and to see Jesus is to put one sandal, Birkenstock, tennis-shoed foot right in front of the other. It is not to arrive at some terminal point or to find him locked up in the church or trapped in some doctrine that we have to believe. It's about relationship. A a woman in my home church in Oregon once asked... um, Yeah, but how do you go about following Jesus? I think she really wanted a script. (laughs) Um, You know, pray this way and do that and that's it. But uh, the pastor, I'll never forget his answer. He said, no matter where you are or where you are going, in that moment, give as much of yourself as you can to as much of him as you know. Give as much of yourself as you can to as much of him as you know, and you will be following. Indeed, this call to living as a Christian is a process. It takes time and practice to become a full-fledged disciple, to learn what it is to set aside your own ego, your own idea of how things are supposed to be, And to see and to know in your heart the presence of Christ in that very moment. Andrew and his buddy didn't get it right away. It took a lifetime. And ours is a call to a lifetime of following, of opening, of sensing, 
It's a call that begins with a sense beyond words, <laughs> the sense inside yourself that to follow is to find your real life. Can I get an amen? It's not a journey that you direct, but with every footfall of your life, being open and seeing him. Emily Dickinson, the poet, once wrote, Tell the truth, but tell it slant. The truth must, gra- the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. Gradually, as we come to see Jesus realized in our lives and in the lives of our communities, may we all be dazzled disciples. Amen and hallelujah. I know it's Curtis's practice to pray after the sermon. I think I'm just going to give us a little bit of time to think about what are you looking for and open your hearts. Amen.